0: Today, I'm going to be talking about Counter will during adolescence. This information I'm going to share was inspired and informed through a few courses that I've taken over the last couple of years through the Gordon Newfeld Institute. Um, one of the courses was making sense of adolescence, and I also took another course called, or I think it was a workshop called, the Counter Will Storm: Making Sense of Teen Resistance. So counter will, what? Is this thing I'm talking about? It's actually not even a term that is in the English language or was before. It came from an Austrian psychologist named Otto Rank. And Dr. Gordon Newfeld popularized and kind of translated it into English. And it's pretty self-explanatory if you hear the term counter will, what we're referring to. But specifically, it is a natural instinct to resist. Feeling coerced. It's a resisting feeling like you should follow the will of another person, particularly one with whom you are not connected or attached to. It's a natural instinct to resist for self preservation reasons, primarily. If a child is approached by somebody they don't know who's trying to get them to do something or go with them, they should have an instinct to resist. This can be problematic, though, when they are feeling an instinct to resist their parents, their teachers, or others whom are in their care. Again, this is an instinct and it's meant for protection or self-preservation. It also, in terms of an adolescent, is part of preparing an adolescent to become a separate, independent, fully functioning adult. So it shows up particularly during this period of time for that reason. Again, it's about resisting feeling pressured and coerced. We experience counter will as adults. And so it can be sometimes helpful as parents to think about when we experience similar instincts within ourselves so we can be more empathetic when handling and dealing with our children. So if you think about times when you have felt coerced. Perhaps when you have been going to buy a car and you sit down and you have a car salesman who perhaps is doing a lot of what feels like coercion, a lot of trying to manipulate your emotions and push you towards what their agenda is, which is for you to walk out of there with the keys and the slip to a car. And when you feel a lot of that pressure and coercion, your desire to follow and do what that person wants you to do goes down and you're less likely to want to buy that particular car. You also sometimes deal with this sense of counter will internally it's like you have counter will with yourself. This is something I struggle with. I am kind of queen of procrastination. And if I know I have to get work done, I can put it off and put it off and do this internal struggle with myself. Sometimes I'm struggling with counter will. I'm struggling with my knowing I have to do something, but just not having the desire to want to follow through with something that has to get done. And so I'll can't push off anymore. And then I will go ahead and produce whatever I need to produce. I do this sometimes with work. I do this sometimes with, I don't know, housekeeping duties, doing the dishes. Ugh, I don't want to do that. Ugh, I don't want to do that. Okay, finally, I've got to do it. That sense. We experience this sometimes with our spouses and partners where our spouse or partner wants us to do something or agree with them. And if we feel like we're an equal partner in being able to express our views on something and maybe negotiate or come to terms on a particular issue, it, we may not experience will. If we feel like our partner, our spouse, uh, our significant other is coming on real strong and trying to push us or coerce us to do what they want to do to go with their agenda, to follow their lead, we might experience counterwill just this instinct to resist, even though we might have been in agreement with the idea or the agenda if we hadn't felt so pressured to go in that direction. So that kind of gives you an idea of counter will is how we might experience it as adults and what it just, the word is in terms of the definition. So why do we see this increase during adolescence? Well, first and foremost, let's think about what's happening to an adolescent during this period of time. This period of time is kind of like a bridge between childhood, and adulthood. It's this kind of loosey-goosey gray area time period for kids. And sometimes they're more childlike in their behaviors, and sometimes they're more adult-like in their behaviors. And during this period where they've got kind of a foot in both territories of childhood and adulthood, they might feel sometimes more inclined to follow our leads as parents, and they may sometimes feel more inclined to resist it because they're standing up in their own voice. Another thing going on for adolescents, which is quite obvious, of course, is this explosion of hormones, their limbic systems really starting to take off. And then, of course, all the things going on in terms of their brain with pruning of neural pathways and removing all this unnecessary information and making the grooves even deeper for the pathways that are really important and needing to be solidified and become even more deeper knowledge in those areas. So there's all this wild stuff going on in the adolescent brain. And because of that, this is also a period of time where teenagers and adolescents' ability to regulate their emotions gets a little weaker. They become in some ways a little bit more like the toddler in terms of being able to regulate emotions and experience mixed emotions, which is something that we expect to see kind of in the middle years of childhood, between the ages of Five to twelve, where they're able to regulate their emotions pretty well, they can be a little bit more easy balanced, not all kids, but most kids and then during adolescence, that becomes harder again, and you get these huge mood swings, which really are just about an adolescent child going through this all this work, all this reorganization within the brain. So again, all of those reasons kind of add to part of the reasons why we see so much counterwell in the adolescent. Adolescents also become very critical in the world around them. They become very idealistic. They start developing their own viewpoints on things. All good stuff. Teens also are trying to make sense of themselves. They become, again, I just said they become critical. They become incredibly self-critical. They become more self-conscious and reflective about who they are, who they are becoming, who they want to be, what's inside them. The teen brain is also wired and desires autonomy. That's often why you see teenagers and you experience teenagers who become a little bit more reclusive. They tend to spend more time by themselves in their rooms with the doors closed as opposed to more kind of immersed in the family dynamic. That is a natural instinct to kind of separate themselves literally physically to be able to kind of make sense of who they are and identify themselves and their own wills. They are forming their own wills during this time, and it's priming them for separating at the end of adolescence and emerging into the world as independent beings. So during this time, the will of others becomes a direct threat to the teenager's emergence, to them emerging as their own independent people. These teens and adolescents, they become hypersensitive to perceiving when there is the will of another being forced upon them, particularly the will of their parents. So this includes if it has to do with our agenda or if they perceive us being judgmental of them or their behaviors, if we come at them with a list of demands or a very commanding kind of tone of voice, If they perceive that we're trying to coerce them into doing something or to bending to our will by force, that's another time that they would really have this instinct for counter will to be present. If they ever perceive that this pressure or coercion is greater than their own will to want to follow, to obey, to be good for, then you're going to see counter will. Okay, the good news here is that counter will actually is a sign of maturation. (laughs) This is actually a good thing. It actually indicates that your child is emerging, is becoming their own person, is developing their own will. This is a good thing. It's not always pleasant to be on the receiving end of it as a parent, but it actually indicates growth and maturation. The bad news is that it can be really challenging, as anybody who is parenting adolescents or pre adolescents know. It can be very challenging to navigate when it's suddenly this shift in terms of a child who might have been a bit more willing to kind of follow your lead without a lot of pushback suddenly things shift in adolescence, and that can be very challenging to navigate, and I can speak from that from experience. I currently have two teenagers in my home of four children, and it is Very challenging at times to navigate parenting the teenagers and especially when I'm experiencing their counter will, something that I'm working on quite a lot in terms of my parenting right now. And it's something that I've actually sought some help and advice in terms of navigating this new uncharted territory for myself as a parent. And I have found a lot of help in understanding this particular part, counter will. So how do you handle this? I've talked about what counter will is and where it comes from. So how do we handle this when we're experiencing this in our children? How do we deal with it? How do we not make the counter will grow bigger than our relationships with our children? Well, first and foremost, don't forget to show enjoyment, affection, delight in being with your teenager, Even if you're not necessarily receiving that, on the other side, our children, when they're very young, they're adorable. They're made that way. They're designed that way on purpose so that we just fall in love with our children. They're adorable. They're cute. They follow our lead. And if we have established a really great relationship and attachment in the early years in the right orientation with a parent in the leading position, our children in the following dependent positions, you may have gone through kind of child rearing up to this point with it being really pleasurable. And then you have this adolescent, this teenager, and all of these things are suddenly very rocky. Don't forget that that loving, sweet, adorable human being still exists within your child. The imagery of a porcupine. I've mentioned this a few times before in my podcast. Think of your teen at times when they're being real prickly as a porcupine. A porcupine is not hard and prickly through its entire self. There is a soft core inside. Do not forget to hug, to show delight and to enjoy your porcupine. It's our job to keep our kids close to us, even when they are acting less than lovable. It's still our job to not forget about them, to not neglect them, to not ignore them or give them a lot of um, expressions of, you know, displeasure and being around them, because maybe they are less than adorable right now to not forget to express that we enjoy being with them or times when they show us something they're proud of to really take time to stop, show them how significant they are to us and express that delight in them. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. Another tip is to slow down your interactions. Sometimes we might get into the habit of parenting a bit cold, of kind of just being very brisk and barking orders at our kids without actually taking the time to kind of warm up the relationship. I've talked about on my podcast before this concept of collect before direct or connect before direct. It holds true with the adolescent as well. Don't just go straight to your child with your agenda and command or demand that they do certain things without actually spending time to address your child pleasantly to engage them in a conversation to ask them what they're working on right now to have a conversation about something that interests them to not forget about the relationship it's not about going to your child and barking off orders that you should still be nurturing and slowing down the interactions so that you can have a conversation that might end with okay I need you to do this x y and z in the next so and so amount of minutes and so on do not use a demanding or commanding tone with your child that will immediately put them into counter will. I've had to call myself out or my teenagers have called me out on this before in the past. When I come at them in a tone that sounds like they don't have a option to have their own will, I don't allow them the chance to have a desire to do what I'm asking them to do because of my tone, because of the way in which I'm communicating with my children. It has sounded too much like a demand. And again, immediately those quills go up and immediately I experienced counter will. So you need to look at yourself and how you're communicating with your teenager. Do not come at them with demands and a commanding tone. Otherwise you're going to get hit with counter will right out of the gate. Definitely reduce anything that feels like coercion or like you're trying to force your will on your child. When you st- are always going to your child and saying, unless you do this, I'm taking this away. If you do that again, you're losing this privilege. I'm taking away your phone. If you're always addressing your child and trying to get them to follow your will by force or coercion, you're going to experience an increase in counter will. If you're experiencing a lot of counter will, you need to work the relationship. You need to focus less on you trying to get your will Force upon your child and more on connecting, relating to your child, finding things that you enjoy together, creating new things that you can enjoy together, meeting your child where they are based on what their interests are. If, you know, I've talked to some parents who are struggling with their teenagers and actually all their teenager wants to do is play video games. Okay, well join your child in video game. Find out why they like playing this game. Sit down next to them and have them teach you how to play it find some way through the door. I've had other examples of where teenagers seem to only like to enjoy spending time with their parents if they're going shopping. Okay, it's not ideal but it's where things are right now. Maybe you're not going to splurge and spoil a child with a huge shopping trip. But if you know that they enjoy shopping and you know there's a need, oh gosh, I've noticed that your athletic shoes are getting really small or worn out. Let's find a time next week when we can go out together and get a new pair of shoes. If there's a need or a reason and you know your child enjoys that experience, go ahead and find that time to do that together. Right now, um, I'm recording this during the time of the coronavirus crisis. And recently, my teenage daughter and I thought it would be fun to take an online class together since we were home on the shelter-in-place order. And we took a class through one of our local metaphysical spiritual shops on how to read oracle cards. And it was really fun to spend a couple of hours, actually it was quite a few hours, I think six hours together in her room with a group of people on Zoom learning how to interpret Oracle cards together. And it was something we enjoyed and we've gone back to and had fun with over the last several weeks as our, you know, couple weeks of stay at home order have extended into months. It's something we've been returning to and having fun with. Um, So finding ways that you can connect with kids Your teenagers, your adolescents can be really helpful. I've also found it helpful to go back and return to some activities that my older children enjoyed doing when they were younger. I have drawn out some board games and some activities, some movies that were favorites when they were younger, and they kind of enjoyed visiting those things. Another time when kids tend to be really, really agreeable in terms of connecting and open to attachment energy is when you talk about memories. When you dig out those old videos and photos and revisit memories from the past, teens and adolescents tend to really, really love going down that memory lane. Recently, we did the same thing having to do with music. And my oldest daughter, who's almost 16, was having a blast playing songs from her childhood, as she says, from when she was younger, music that was really popular maybe 10, 8 years ago, and playing it for my younger children. And we kind of had a little bit of a dance party and listened to favorite songs of my oldest daughter that she was sharing with my younger kids, which was a really great way for us to all connect as a family. But in particular, I felt a lot of great attachment energy and relationship energy coming between my adolescent daughter and my husband and I interacting with them. So in terms of working on the parent-child relationship, if you're experiencing a lot of counterwill, definitely think of ways that you can reconnect and strengthen the connection with your adolescent. Another thing that you need to work on with your adolescent, if you're experiencing counterwill, a lot of counterwill, You need to practice giving space and making room for all these emotions, much like you might have done when they were very young. Know that they're acting out how they're feeling inside and all these huge roller coasters of emotions are temporary, but speak to how they're feeling in that moment That's why a teenager gets the kind of rap for being moody. They are experiencing these huge floods of emotions and they're going up, down, up, down, up, down during the course of an hour. It's a lot for them. Imagine how it felt for you. Think back to how it felt for you to be a teenager and go through that roller coaster of emotions. Make space for those emotions and physically give your child space if they need some time. If you talk to your child and you're immediately hit with, big storm of counter will, a big no, a lot of heightened emotion, give some space, and then revisit later. Another thing that can be really helpful is to ask for a do-over. I did this recently. I delivered a message to one of my adolescents that I think sounded pretty commanding and demanding, and I was hit with a hard no. And rather than engaging and forcing my will or coercing my will, or you better do this or else... I took some time. I gave us a little space. I came back in and I said, okay, let's do a do-over. And guess what? When I asked my child to share with me why I got that hard no, guess what she said? She said, I felt like you were trying to force me. I felt like you were demanding of me. And I said, you know what? I understand why it sounded that way. And I apologize. And then we had a conversation about the thing I'd asked her to do. And what do you know things turned around and it was not a hard no anymore there was a okay like when the time comes let's do this similar that example i just gave another thing is i have had to learn to be a better listener of my teenagers and to do less talking and invite more communication from my adolescents so find times when your child is open to discuss and communicate and listen don't jump right into lecturing or explaining or giving your reasonings. Invite a communication from them. When you're dealing with counter will, resist the temptation to react in a way that could make counter will more permanent. You don't want to make this permanent, so do not react in a way that could make it permanent. And also remind yourself that this period of time is temporary, again, is instinctive, instinctual. For your adolescent child and it does not last forever. So if you remind yourself of that, you can get a little bit more strength to dig down and remember that this is a period of time that you can survive, that all the parents who've raised adults before you have survived and you can too. Another thing that can be really, really helpful in terms of handling and dealing with counterwill in your children is to encourage their emerging self again counter will is present because kids are emerging and becoming who they are going to be so encourage that energy from your children let them share their views and perspectives yes they might be incredibly idealistic they may not have the perspective they wouldn't have the perspective that you do as an adult that does not mean that their views and their perspectives are not worth listening to without being criticized So invite their perspectives, invite their views, go to them and ask their opinion, go to them and say, Hey, I'm thinking about painting this room and I'm trying to decide between these colors. What do you think? Asking their viewpoint, their perspective, that will kind of encourage them and communicate to them that you value their emerging self. You value their opinion and their will. You also want to empower them to be leaders. If you have more than one child, or even if you have just one child in your home, empowering them to be leaders and to take on a a role, ask them to do something and let them do it their way without you jumping in and micromanaging them. They may do it differently than you would, but that's okay. If you empower them to lead, this is going to also encourage them in terms of their emerging self. Also, Draw out good intentions in your children. I talked about this a bit in my episode about discipline. Draw out good intentions, meaning when things have gone sideways, when things have not gone as planned, when your child blows up, rather than going there and shaming them and making them feel bad for things not going well, say, you know what? I know it was not your intention to lose control. I know it was not your intention to break that rule. I know it's not your intention to ignore this thing I'd asked you to do. I know your intention is to do the right thing. You just had a weak moment. You had a hard day. You go ahead and let them feel that you know that their intention is to do better and to be better. And you can actually even say to them, I know you meant to do better. You can do better. And I know you'll do better in the future in a way that doesn't feel condescending, but in a way that feels like you recognize the goodness inside of them, even at times when they maybe have made a mistake or things have gone sideways. So if there are those of you who are currently raising adolescents, I am with you. I am doing the same. As I said, I have two adolescents currently in my household. Um, this is a challenging time. But again, remember that this will is an instinct and that you can ride this kind of counterwill storm <laughs> along your child without having to get drawn up into the eye of the storm. You can go through this period of time with your child and recognize that this is a sign of maturation. And so it's really just a matter of understanding how you can get through this period of time without it becoming so rough and rocky all the time to recognize how you can make things go smoother when dealing with your adolescence counterwell. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media, So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the 3D Parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.